Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Dear Lord, as we come to you, our living stone, we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us as we look through your word. Help us to understand that we too are living stones being built up by you to know your love and your glory. Amen. I wonder how you answered that question. Who do you think you are? Who are you? I wonder, maybe it's a question that people have posed to you in the past. Tell me something about yourself. In fact, last year, there was a census. I don't know how many of you filled that in. The census asked a number of questions. We had to tick the box to tell who you were. Questions about your marital status about your ethnicity, about your occupation, your educational background, your nationality, and your religion. And there were tick boxes. So I would end up being, I'm a married, white, male, uh, Christian, accountant, um, and British. Is that all I am? Is that all we are? Feels a bit sort of, a bit stale. Who really are we? It's good to ask these fundamental questions, isn't it? Who are we? Why are we here? And what does the Bible say about who we are? Well, that's the question, actually, that Peter is addressing in this passage. And it'd be great if you have a Bible near you to turn to it, or if you're able to do it on your phone. Uh, It's on page 1,228 in the Bibles in the pews. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. And uh, we've been going through a recent series looking through this first letter that was written by the Apostle Peter. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we looked about how we are aliens and strangers and how we're called to be holy. But now in this passage, I think Peter's addressing this question of who we are as Christians. Who is God calling us to be? And actually, I think he's addressing it He's actually saying that we have a new ethnicity, a new race, a new religion, a new nationhood, and all because of a new relationship. So we're going to think about these things. There's a picture which Sam Merrill kindly put together for me. We're going to look at these images about living stones, about being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. The symbols will become clearer as we go through the talk. So firstly, what Peter says is this. The key is about our relationship with Jesus. That is what determines, defines us as who we are. So he says this in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him. But you may be wondering, 
What is Peter on about? Why is he talking about a living stone? Who is this living stone? Obviously here we can see it's Jesus, but why does he call him a living stone? Now I'm no scientist, as many of you may know, but even I know that stones are not living. They are very dead. What is Peter talking about? Well, in fact, and we'll see throughout the whole of this passage, Peter continually is alluding back to the Old Testament, Old Testament themes, and showing them how they're fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Shows the richness, actually, in many of the themes that we see in the Old Testament. And so he quotes a bit further down in verses 6 to 8. These are quotes from the books of Isaiah and from the Psalms, written 600 years before Peter was writing. So he says this, firstly, See, I laid a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And then later from the Psalms, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Actually, cornerstone is a better translation there. And finally, from Isaiah, a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. Now, in the day of, of Peter, in the day when Isaiah was writing as well, when someone was coming through the building, the most important thing was to get your cornerstone right. You would choose a sort of perfect and strong stone, and you'd make sure it was positioned correctly, that it was a good stone that, could, that was positioned right, and then you could build from that. And if you got it right, and you got all the lines right, you could build a pretty good building, and it would cope with whatever weathers or storms would come up, your building would hold. But get the cornerstone wrong, well, then your building will be a bit wonky. I don't know, it will all be a bit misshapen. And uh, like some poor grand designs or something, it would all just fall apart if the weather's turned bad or anything. And what these passages are saying, well, God has laid a cornerstone. That's that first passage from Isaiah. He's laid a stone in Jerusalem. A stone where you need to build your life upon it, it says. A stone where if you get it right by following God, then you lay your lines right about right and justice and what is true. And then actually whatever happens in life, you've got a firm foundation. But then what we read in the Psalms and in Isaiah is that the people have turned away from that. The people of Israel have said, no, actually, we're going to build our lives our own way. We're going to ignore that cornerstone of God and we're going to do our own thing. So they do. And he says, but what you'll find is you'll start your building and realize that stone I rejected, I should have put that first. I should have built my life on God and his ways. And then what it says, Isaiah finishes by saying, do you know what, that stone that you rejected, but you're going to end up stumbling over it. It's going to make make you fall. All those stones you put together will come tumbling down. That was what Isaiah and the Psalms were saying. And And Peter is saying here, those, those pictures that the Old Testament sets are fulfilled in Jesus, that he is that cornerstone, that he is that one to build your life upon, he says. He's the one who came, yes, rejected by human beings, but chosen and precious to God. He's the one to build your life upon. And then Peter says, and he's a living stone. Living. Because this Jesus, yes, he was rejected by men, But he rose again and is living now. He's alive today so we can know him. Want to know that this is the right way to live? He says, well, just look back 
at the story of Jesus and about his resurrection and know that Jesus was raised again, showing that he is the one to build our life upon. All of us have different building blocks in life, whether it's family or career, ambition, education, background, friendships. But actually, we need to get the cornerstone right. If we build it on Jesus, then actually, he says, as, as Isaiah says, we'll never be put to shame, never dismayed, because it's the right way to live. It's the way God made us to be. Build your life on that cornerstone. What a wonderful message. What amazing truth that Peter is setting here. And if you want to know more about that, one more more about this person, Jesus, who, is to, who Peter is saying is to be our cornerstone. Well, do speak to me or speak to Wendy or, or John, our vicar. We'd love to talk more about it. Find out more. Many of us have built our life on Jesus. And, you know, when troubles come, we know we have a true foundation, whatever life poses. But I wonder, a question for us, Is every part of our life built in line with that cornerstone, in line with Jesus? Every building block we have on life, is that built with Jesus as our cornerstone, true to where he wants us to be? So that's the first thing that Peter says here, is that we want to, that life, to be defined in life, first of all, it's about how our relationship is with Jesus. Have we made him our cornerstone? Is he our living stone? Because then Peter says, because if that is true, if he's your living stone, then he said these amazing truths about who you are. And this is what he says in verse 9. But you are, he says to the people he's writing to, to us now as well, to those early Christians, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I asked earlier about who do we think we are, about whether we could bring a phrase. Here is Peter's phrase. Chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation. So firstly, a chosen people, or in some translations, a chosen race. Now, it might be for some of you actually think, oh, hold on there. And, um, this is the bit I do know. I did a bit of history. And through history, there have been loads of different groups of people or nations who often claim to be a chosen race, a chosen people. And often, if it's not gone well, of have a sense of superiority, and then they oppress others, other races and other nations. We're the chosen ones, and you're not. In fact, Peter would have known that too. In his day, the Romans and also the Greeks often thought of themselves as being a chosen race and often oppressed others. And this imagery he actually gets from the Jews from the Old Testament, where the Jews thought of themselves as people chosen by God to bring God's message to others. But many of them, of course, have forgotten that, but just held on to just being chosen. But I think here, Peter's twisting this round, turning it on his head. Firstly, because the people he's writing to, they weren't one race or one ethnicity. They were a bunch of different people in different parts of what is now Turkey. Different nationalities, different languages, different cultures. But Peter's saying, because of what Jesus has done, you're one people, one race. And chosen, not chosen because of your background, not chosen because of you know, anything you've done or your education or whether you're clever or not or whatever. Chosen because of what Jesus has done for you. And so he says in verse 10, 
Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is the mark of these chosen people? Chosen race. Not that they're one particular race or anything. Not that they're special, their choice. But rather that they have received mercy. It's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. They've received mercy, received forgiveness. They can know God. They can be a people. One of the very interesting things that Peter talks about here is that God made us to be in his image. So if we want to be a real people, want to know, then we need to know God's love and that God's love that we can share with others. And then we become a true people, a people belonging to God, as it says here. But you may say, well, that's great, yes, except I'm a chosen race. But what about those who are not chosen? It all seems a bit unfair. It's just about mercy. But actually, in this passage, Peter's really emphasizing his chosen to encourage us. And actually, to encourage us also to tell others. This is not an exclusive club. In fact, right at the end of our passage, he talks about those of us who know Jesus as our living stone. To tell others, to want to share his message with us. To bring more in. To know that wonderful mercy. Rather, what Peter is saying here is this is an encouragement that whatever we face in life, that we can know, each one of us, that we are chosen and precious to God. Look how Peter three times refers to Jesus as being chosen and precious. Jesus, who died for us, how precious, how valued are we to God that he gave his one and only son so we can know forgiveness. What an amazing truth that is. I wonder... Do you recognize that you are chosen and precious of value to God? I wonder, do each one of us, when we look round at each of us here, recognize that each one here is chosen and precious to God? So that's the first thing that Peter wants to say about who we are. That if we've accepted this living stone, then we are chosen people, precious to God. But the second thing he says then about who we are is that we're a royal priesthood. Again, you're probably wondering, what is Peter on about now? What's this message? Well, actually, again, he's going back to the Old Testament, back back to the book of Exodus. Um, And after, for those of you who know the story, Moses led all the people of Israel through the Red Sea, out of slavery in Egypt. And as they came to Mount Sinai, where they received the Ten Commandments, Moses said to the people, he said, look, God wants you, he's calling you, to be a a kingdom of priests, and to be a holy nation. That was God's call then. But sadly, the people of Israel let God down. They turned away from God. They still needed priests, priests to come and intercede for them. So when someone wanted to access God, they would need to go to a priest, and that priest would then normally make an animal sacrifice to then an offering for the sins they'd done. That was the only way they could intercede with God, through a priest. This promise of Moses was only fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came so that we can know forgiveness, that we can access God. So we don't need a priest. We don't even really need vicars. Sorry, John. <laughs> Actually, we do need vicars to help with the church, but we don't need them to intercede. We, all, each one of us, we're all equal before God. We can all access God. We can all know what it is to receive mercy, 
to receive forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us. All of us can effectively be priests to go to God and to pray to him, to read his word, to come and worship him here day to day to bring our knees to God. That's what he means, to be a royal priesthood. Recognize him as king and come to God. Just as uh, Peter said that, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone. But then he goes on, he says this, then therefore you also like living stones, this is verse five, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are called to be this holy priesthood, be built up, he says here. But then he says, offering spiritual sacrifices. You may be wondering, what's Peter meaning here? Just talked about, we don't need sacrifice anymore. And that's right. These aren't there to come, to be acceptable to God, to seek his forgiveness. We don't need to keep coming. Jesus has done it for us. We know we are forgiven people. We know we are friends with God. But the thing is, when we receive Jesus, we also receive his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit helps us to change, to transform us, to be more like Jesus. Transformed to be the people that God made us to be. And so that's what it means here. There's the Spirit works in our lives. That's the spiritual bit. Therefore, actually, it will call us to lead different lives, to maybe make sacrifices. Maybe God is calling you now, maybe to sacrifice some time, maybe to help with some work that God is calling to, to you to, possibly the Church with Warmth initiative, possibly something else, probably just spending time with someone to comfort them, to help them, giving your time to help others. It may be risking your career to stand up for what's right. It may be giving some of what the money you earn to help with some work of God, some work of God in other parts of the world. It may even be a call to sacrifice our ambitions, to maybe call to do something completely different for God. But we can know from what Peter says here that whatever that sacrifice, it is building us up, helping to know God more and more as long as it's guided by his Holy Spirit. So we've learned that we are a chosen people and a royal priesthood. And finally, then, Peter says, we are a holy nation. It may not surprise you, but the World Cup has started today. I don't know, hands up, any of you planning on watching? Ooh, a bit of enthusiasm. <laughs> I this. Of course, the World Cup is a place where lots of nations come together to play football. And of course, we get behind our nation, whether it's England or Wales, or maybe for some of you, it's another nation that's there at the World Cup, to support them, to follow them, to cheer for them, to talk and, and dissect this tactics in the game. And to do that, obviously, until they get knocked out, which probably will be quite soon, I imagine. But actually, that's what it is to be part of a nation, isn't it? Well, actually, similar here, when we, when we accept Jesus as our living stone, we become part of a new nation, a nation where we put God as our king and that we follow Jesus. And just like a football fan following our football, then we want to declare it, talk about it, let it come into our hearts. So we're thinking about it all the time. So this is what he says, uh, Peter, in verse 9. 
He says this, that you are a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. To declare, to sing about it, proclaim it in our lives, in our words, that we have a God who's done great things for us. And how do we do that? Well, the attribute of this nation that we now live for, this nation where we follow God, is to be holy. And if you're here last week, you'll know that John talked a lot more about holiness. Uh, it's probably a big theme of Peter. So I'm not going to talk too much about what it is to be holy. But basically, the word to be holy is to be separate, to be distinct and different. Not, I should say, different in a sort of just trying to be odd and odd with, compared to others, but different in the way that, you know, by following, by, having, by following God and putting him as our king and following Jesus and having the Holy Spirit work in our hearts, how that transforms and changes us, makes us different from those around us, different attitudes, different way we see things because we're, as, because we're part of a different nation. So this is what uh, Peter says. He says this about what it is to be holy. Right at the end, verses 11 to 12. Dear friends, he says then, I urge you as aliens and strangers into the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What does it mean to be holy? Well, Peter, in some ways, sums it up here. Two things. And it's interesting here. The word urge is actually a bit weak here. Actually, what Peter says is really urge. I strongly urge, he says. Only two things, he says. Firstly, to abstain from sinful desires. And that word abstain is not just a one-off, continually, day by day. We live in a world where there's a huge amount of temptation around us so easy to access through internet, so easy to respond quickly through social media. Maybe there's something that we know, a desire that we have that we know takes us away from God. Well, Peter calls us to abstain. And it may be just when that temptation comes, that desire, just to pray about it. Maybe to have something else that we can do, a distraction that's instead doing something God, maybe reading a Bible verse or something, or something we hold to. But Peter says, pray about it, to abstain, because those things war against us. We live in a world, don't we, where, well, you know, if you want to do it, just do it. As long as it doesn't come harm to someone, what's the problem? But actually, the Bible says no. We are called to be a holy nation. We know what is the right things to do, to follow God, to let him into every part of our life. Therefore, Peter says, abstain. And the second thing Peter says is to live such good lives among others, about the way we conduct ourselves, whether in the workplace, with our friends, our family, the way we treat others, the way we view what is right. He says, act, act the way that God would want you to act. Act in a way that is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and your lives. Because he says, actually, when people know that you're a Christian, wherever you are, they'll be looking at you, wondering, you know, what are you doing? They'll be looking. And actually, as he says here, and I've seen this often, if we do something wrong, they go, wow, hmm, that's not how Christians behave, is it? Now, sometimes I've, I've found that happens when they have a misconception about what Christians do. Oh, 
I can't surprise you about having a drink. Well, I didn't think Christians did that. But actually, even so, we should be living lives that ex- example. That's what Peter's saying here. To be an example to others. Because people are looking around us, wherever we are. And actually, and I know this in my life too. And people see something different. Suddenly, they think, I want some of that. Actually, I want to know more. Not more about who I am, but more about this Jesus who's doing something in my life and in the lives of others. They want to know more, to lead people to glorify God. That's what it is to be holy, to abstain from those things that take us away from God and to live lives of a conduct that show God to others. So who do we think we are? Who are we? Well, Peter's clear here that actually we've accepted Jesus as our living stone, our cornerstone, built our life upon him. Then we have these amazing truths that we are a chosen people, precious to God, that we are a royal priesthood who can come to God day by day, letting him into our lives and a holy nation called to put God first in everything that we do. So maybe next time you fill in the census, when it says ethnicity, put chosen race. When it says religion, put royal priesthood. And it puts nation, holy nation. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.